coming up on Life is a Festival. We might ask, what is the next frontier for the festival? Might begin there. It has to do in a way with our discussion of the yin and the yang. Because as that continues to mature, that energy of creativity and celebration is infused with this yang energy of purposefulness and service. Of how do we take this celebration? How do we take this connection? How do we take this spontaneity and creativity? And how do we channel that into the world's great need? How do we channel that into mutual benefit? How do we combine those two things and bring that yin and that yang together into a beautiful dance where we don't forget to be spontaneous. We don't forget to connect. We don't forget self-care. We don't forget creativity. But we match all of those things and weave them together with service and focus and specific contribution and ways that we can meet the challenges that rise up for all of us in the collective together in these times. My name is Eamon Armstrong, and this is Life is a Festival. This podcast is a celebration of thinkers and leaders who live their lives with the open-hearted, experimental joy of a festival. Each week, we converse in complete openness, in an ongoing quest to find those boundaries in our being and melt them into lofty horizons. Life is a festival, only to the wise. Well, my friends, here we are. 100 episodes of Life is a Festival. And to celebrate this centennial achievement, today's episode is with my spiritual teacher, Benjamin. There isn't a bio for Benjamin, as you'll see on the show. He simply helps friends. That's all he does. And I am very lucky and very, very grateful to be one of those friends and to have received so much support and guidance over the years in which I've known him. And on the show today, I'd like to share some of that guidance with you. So the episode starts off in a very self-indulgent way. So forgive me because there's about 10 minutes of me not ready to do a podcast, (laughs) but I think it's instructive to our relationship. And after about 10 minutes, we drop into the actual podcast itself where I interview Benjamin about his life and his philosophies, which have been so helpful to me and I hope are helpful to you. So we start with the consequences of self-indulgence. We go into the deep listening as a mirror, a radical openness to life. Benjamin talks about the physical home as a metaphor for the constructed self and why he strives to have neither. We talk about the Yang container, which is a structure that he has advised me on in order to create the best container for my gifts. Um, We talk about the next frontier of the festival. Uh, We discuss the middle place between hedonism and activism. And finally, we finish our conversation with the future of this podcast, Life is a Festival. And so now I give you the wisdom the grace, and the soothing voice of my dear friend, Benjamin. This is kind of fun. I get to see how you do it. 
Have you not seen how I do it? Oh, no. you're, you're kind of a little cheated because how I would do it is I'd be like, welcome. To, well, I wouldn't even, I'd be like, hey, it's great to see you. Like, let's go through a couple of things. Let's, you know, here's the audio stuff. And I'd like tee you all up. But I feel like such a, a skid mark at the moment. I feel like I can't even like mime it. <laughs> well, let's just start in then. What is going on? I am having a wave of mental health challenges. Okay. So, and it's like really intense anxiety in the morning, narrowing of my brain, like kind of headache, kind of closed in feeling, can't think about things that aren't, you know, very ruminating, but just in it, in it. I drank in Tulum and that wasn't super smart. I got to Mexico City and I was sick. I had Montezuma's revenge. One thing that might be contributing is I did start eating gluten again like a, two weeks ago because I got the gut test thing and she's like, no, you're not allergic to gluten. And then I was like, oh, I'll test it a little bit. And then for the past couple of days, I've like really done it. And I think that that could be part of it. But there's like a couple of different things, which is one, there's something physical going on for sure. And it sucks. Two, I'm getting back into work tomorrow, but I've just felt kind of aimless. And then there's this kind of like spiritual thing of like, who the fuck am I? What the fuck am I doing? Like what, am I in a spiritual transformation? How long does this thing go? When do I get to return to just being okay with just being alive? You know the feeling, you're just alive and it's like fine. And you're like, I'm alive. And like, that's the sunset and it's pretty. And there's a friend and that's interesting. Tell me about your life. Oh, that's, pr- that's pretty cool. Like, let's go do something fun together. Oh, we, we're, it's a beautiful place. We'll go, we'll go surfing. Let's go surf. Okay, we'll live, live, live. Surfing, talking, being. As opposed to just like this fucking ingrown toenail that is my myopic preoccupation with myself. I am so very tired of me and I'm in it. And I love myself. I don't hate myself, but I'm tired of like this recursive in it feels like a mental health problem it feels like a spiritual stillbirth it feels like a fucking stuckness and this is where I'll end because I've just been ranting so I wanted to do an interview with you today but instead you get this person okay thank you well I'm glad to get the person who arrives today that's sweet of you I like that perspective yeah, well, that's how it is for me. And it definitely strikes me that there's a cascade of indulgence that happens, and it can start in different ways. It could start by eating gluten. It could start by indulging in, you know, literary porn or, or visual porn. I mean, there's lots of ways it can go. But it's like this kind of Achilles heel of indulgence. And that indulgence then kind of collapses into this experience or this place. Um, That's probably a combination of things. But it it usually seems, that seems to be the the place where it gets in. That seems to be the place where um, things involute on themselves. And I think that's, you know, that's just an observation for what it's worth. But you have enough life experience now to know yourself really well. You know what alcohol does to you. You know what gluten does to you. You know what 
you know, lots of things. You know lots of things about yourself that give you a lot of helpful information about where to go and where not to go to maintain your own balance. Because you know you have some vulnerabilities, some mental, emotional vulnerabilities, which is fine because everyone has some of those. If you don't follow what you know and your own knowledge, your own self-knowledge to navigate your Achilles heel, your challenges, yeah, you're totally going to end up in the gutter. Your your bowling ball is going to go right in the gutter. But you're better at bowling than this, or you should be. You should be better at bowling than this, you know, and you should be able to spin the ball the other way instead of spinning it into the drink. Pardon the pun. So, you know, indulgence is not your friend. It's just not. It's not your friend. You know, a yang approach to indulgence, that's your friend, whether it's scheduling yourself more rigorously or not drinking or whatever it is, that serves you way better because then you don't fall over there. You know, you might still feel some challenge from time to time. You're human. It's fine. But you don't end up, you know, gutter ball like that. So this starts to feel like it could be a podcast (laughs) because what you're describing is not unique to me. I am a very vibrant version of this particular unfolding of events. I'm very vibrant my lows get very low and my actual, I feel like the way my brain functions will get very flaccid and weak if I indulge in the way that I do. Today, I went running and then after the run, I got in the ocean and I just had this really powerful feeling that's like, Eamon, surf. We talked about the wonderful metaphor of surfing for you. Just Do it. Just have that be what you do here. Just work and surf and eat good food that's delicious, that is healthy for you. Um, And get off social media to the best of your ability and just surf. And don't solve it and don't figure out the narrative and don't, you know, just surf. And it's interesting because for me and I'm sort of like hybrid talking to you and podcasting at the moment. Can you can you tell the shift? In I my can notice tone? that you're, which is a good sign because it means that you're the wind is coming back in your sails, you know, which I love because working for you is a beautiful thing. It's a yang energy that takes your creative life and gives it some structure and pattern, and it becomes very beautiful. So please continue. Well. Do you want to talk about yang energy? Because I feel like that's what I would podcast with you about. I've been thinking about this because, you know, it's a, it is a bit indulgent for me to do a podcast with you about what a wonderful mentor you are to me. That's beautiful, but it's a little indulgent. Um, the yang energy thing has been so consistent in our work together. And <laughs> I like when you're like, you're a better bowler than that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. You should be. But I have like... I should be a better bowler than that. You um, look at the lane, you assess, and then you're like, yeah, and you throw the ball. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll just drink all week. Yeah. <laughs> Bring on the gluten or whatever it is, you know? Why is that? Why do I do that? Because your, your yin is overripe. 
and your yang is underdeveloped. If your yang was overdeveloped, you'd be rigid and you'd be unflexible and unspontaneous and you, you know, no one would be able to make an appointment with you until the third week in July. And, and then you would need to loosen up a little bit. But you're on the other side of that. You're, you're super yin rich. It means you're very creative. You're spontaneous. You know, you're very fluid. You can get into flow. But also that becomes very ungoverned and it becomes dispersed and it sort of dissipates because it lacks something to hold it. It lacks a container to contain that energy and, and give it its own deepening life, you know. And then all the water, you know, leaks out down into the ground, into the carpet, and you find yourself like a blob on the ground. So, you know, for you cultivating either your own yang or drawing in complementary yang in your environment, one way or another, whether that's your schedule on your computer or whether it's a project to focus on or whether it's a work relationship at Maya or whether it's a romantic relationship in which the other person's bringing yang to you. And, you know, parenthetical note, there's no mystery as to the metaphor of sexuality in this or uh, uh, sexuality is springing forth from the energies within you that are seeking their complement. They're seeking that yang container and its firmness and its, um, penetration and all those things, right? And it's, again, it's not, a, it's not about what that sexual scenario looks like or the, what the gender of the people involved in. That's, that's not the point at all. The point is energies finding their complements to find that beautiful balance in that uh, optimal place. So the indulgence is this kind of overripe yin, so there's, there's an optimal yin, which is flow and spontaneity and play and creativity. And I'm, I'm, that's my home. That's where, I'm, that's where I'm at my best. The overripe yin is like the shirking of duty. And I think that there's a lot of people who have had the privilege to develop creativity in a certain way, the privilege to do so, then have a kind of overripe yin. And I feel like I'm one of those people. So in this moment, do I want to do, make the yin choice? And the yin choice is, instead of doing the podcast, just make me feel better. Because I know that you will, because you always do. That's kind of the indulgent thing. The yang thing would be like, okay, sit up, get present, and do the podcast that you had planned to do today on the subject, the very subject we're talking about, which is the idea of approaching a better life through this idea of yin and yang and specifically through what you've coached me on, this yang container, and actually create something for someone else based on how extraordinarily generous you have been to me. So which one do you think I'll do? (laughs) I don't know. The coin is in the air. (laughs) Benjamin, how do you know what you know? When you offer me a reflection, it feels so precise. It doesn't feel coachy. It doesn't feel like you're leading me somewhere. It feels like you're actually offering the exact reflection that I need most. And it's been this way since we met, which is, I think is now five years ago. How do you know what you know? Is it intuition? Have you read a lot of things? Have you coached like a ton of young men with similar challenges as mine? How do you know what you know? Well, let me ask you a parallel question. 
when you look at a piece of art, you know what your response is to that piece of art. You may not know the history of it. You may not even know the artist's name or intention. But if you're present to that piece of art, you know your response to it. And I would argue that many things about its history, about the art that inspired it, and about the intention of the maker, all those things show themselves to you, like a Polaroid developing, just because you're paying attention to that piece of art. And the same is true with life and with people. For me, all I'm doing when I converse with you is I'm just listening. I'm just being present. But I'm really being present as much as I can do to what is revealing itself here. And so any value really, I think, is emerging. It's emergent from that listening. Sometimes when I describe you to other people, I describe you as someone capable of listening in a way that I don't know anyone else who is. This is like me talking about Benjamin. So Benjamin has a big white beard and he's always somewhere in the world helping people. And he has this thing where like you'll talk and I talk a lot. And you can talk as much as you want because he'll never say anything until you are totally done talking. And there's this long pause and maybe a slow intake of breath. And then suddenly he'll reflect back to you in an extraordinarily simple and clear way the next step of all the stuff you just sort of vomited out. That's kind of how I describe you. And I feel very lucky that you give so much of your time to me because I have so much that I say. Well, you have so much that you say and I find in our conversations, and this is the kind of conversation that delights me the most, that when there's a listening presence, when, you're, when you are interbeing with a listening presence, you find your own truth and your own deep answers, and you see yourself clearly in that reflection enough to find your own conclusions so that a lot of what's happening there is just that you are able to see yourself more clearly in a, in a still pond and notice things and say, wow, oh, well, that's so clear. And I think that's the best process for insight, not having someone tell you anything in particular, but simply having the opportunity and the occasion and the clarity to see it yourself. I think I've shared this expression with you before and you probably know it separate from me, but the Lakota expression that we are the bone flute through which spirit plays. Hmm. And a lot of the very serious elder medicine people that I've connected with in my life, they're all about cleaning their vessels. The more I clean my vessel, the more able I am to provide the flow of something else through me to you. I feel like you do that. Well, I hope we... We all are in the process of doing that since we all deeply depend on each other's wholeness and healing, you know, in this holographic unfolding that happens between us and through us and, and as us. And I feel the deeper your clarity emerges, the deeper clarity comes through your work, you know. So your inner process informs the outer display and the outer gift that you give. <laughs> so for those who have not seen Benjamin or who don't even believe he exists, Benjamin has a big white beard and is always smiling. Maybe not always, but always smiles at me. And 
Benjamin, it took a while in our relationship before you were willing to tell me about yourself. You tend not to really like to talk about yourself that much. In, in this way, we are inverse. But it took you a while to talk to me about yourself. And I learned that you actually have a pretty extraordinary life. And part of the idea of life as a festival is saying yes to life, just opening your heart and going with what's coming and just meeting the wave, meeting the pain, meeting the joy, just saying yes, this bold, glorious yes. And you have a really particular way of saying yes to life, which I admire deeply. Can you tell us a little bit about how you say yes to life? I say, or I attempt to say yes to life without reservation, to say yes to life without condition. I found for myself that it's all the conditions I have that limit my relationship to life. And if I'm able to let go of those, if I'm able to meet life on life's terms, instead of on my personality's terms with all of its requirements, I have a much fuller and more complete experience. Just as if you went into a room expecting only to see one thing or looking for one thing in particular, you'd miss everything else in that room because your attention is limited. In that same way, meeting life with all of my demands and conditions limits me from the true experience of what's emerging around me, really meeting it, really being available to it. So that's my process or my personal commitment to myself in meeting life. So I feel like most of us kind of know that that's a good way to be in the world, that our preferences enslave us. Most of us who've explored some Buddhism, done a little meditation, kind of have this sense, if I could just be radically and unequivocally open to life, I would be a kind of happy that would actually be persistent and ongoing in spite of what occurred in my nervous system or occurred in my landscape or occurred in my nation or my family or whatever it was. I think there's a general sense that if there was a way to live without preference, we really would be happier. I don't really know anyone who can do that. You more than most. Is it a practice that over time has gotten you to be that way? Is it a realization? What's the path from knowing that it would be better to actually living that life? I think a process, there can be realizations along the way that show you the beauty of that, but then you still have to practice it because it's very natural for us to go into our ideas of what things should be or our expectations or our notions. And it's a challenge to release those, to drop those and to be present, to truly meet life from a state of presence instead of from a state of our ideas and our narratives. I think it's a kind of practice you really have to do repeatedly over time and uh, that you have to be authentically interested in the rewards of as well, because it's not always easy to drop those. It's not always easy to lay them down. And there are sacrifices that are part of that path. And there are sacrifices that I know you to have made. I think about you sleeping on the beach can you tell me about sacrifices you've made in your life? Sleeping on the beach is definitely not well, a sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> but I know what you mean. Well, well, perhaps not having a place to sleep is the sacrifice and sleeping on the beach fearlessly is the reward. There you go. I think that's closer to the truth. 
And I think it is having a place to sleep. In a way, it can be a metaphor for the comfort of the constructed self. You know, that home, that house, that place is a kind of metaphor for our inner creation of our self, our being, which then also leads to these expectations and aspirations and uh, conditions on life, that it needs to be a certain way and not another way. And that's similar to the difference between being in your house and wandering out in the wilderness, where you're simply going to take what comes to you in that place. It is a different approach. And you could say sacrifices. That would be truthful in the sense that there's a sacrifice of those constructions of the self and all that comes with them. You know, the kinds of notions of self-image or success or many things like that. And maybe the predictability of comforts. Maybe you could say, you know, those reassurances. But in the exchange, in exchange for that, there's a great deal of beauty and wealth that arises in the texture and the openness to experience in a place where nothing is lacking. There is uh, a great openness. It's as if the whole time you'd been counting, you'd been operating in the world of numbers by various mathematics, and you'd been striving for a higher number, a higher number here in this way or in that way. And then one day, as the Indians discovered 1,500 years ago, you, you found zero. And you found in zero that the relationship to all things changed. Because where before you were counting to whatever number you'd reached, 23, and everything below that seemed substandard or dissatisfying, you were reaching only for numbers higher. Once you find zero, all things are added to you. All experiences are then a gift for you to receive. When was the last time that you had a home? The last time that I had a home. I guess it depends on how you measure such a thing. I, I knew you'd say that. It does depend upon that. But I think though certainly the last time I owned a home would have been 20 years ago or so. The last time that I rented a home, not much less, maybe 16 years or so. And then the last time I occupied a place with regularity in the shape of a home would have been, I would say, 2013 or so. So maybe eight years. In that interim, it's been a very fluid experience of life. What happens when you don't have a place to sleep? Well, there always is, in reality, a place to see, sleep because there's always ground to be found somewhere. And when you view it that way, it's not so much a matter of not having a place to sleep. It's just a matter of what the shape of that place might be. This past weekend, I was out in the desert sleeping there under the stars and a beautiful and lovely place that is to be. Um, but more often than not, I'm sleeping in a bed somewhere, whether that's uh, with a friend or someone I'm connecting with or whatever it might be. But I enjoy sleeping in nature and actually enjoy even sleeping 
in more urban environments under other conditions. Because that contrast for me is a delicious one. The contrasts in life for me are something that I savor. And they, they give life and richness to each other. Every time I talk to you, maybe not every single time, but I typically ask you where you are. And you will almost every single time say a place. Maybe you're in France or you're in Hawaii or you're in the desert. I'm in a place and I'm helping a friend. Every time. Sometimes you've told me what that means. Usually when I press you, someone has gotten in an accident. You're helping build a temple or a church or something. Every time I speak to you, you're somewhere helping someone. I think that that's really beautiful and also seems so far away from the way that I construct my life. Helping people seems like something for me that I kind of weave into the tapestry of all the things that I want and all the things that my preference is and what I'm doing. And I want to help, but so much of that is wrapped into, as you said, my personality and what I'm doing. For you, it's primary. You're somewhere and you're helping a friend. That is the thing that gives me the most joy. It's the most fulfilling for me. So that's what um, compels me. How does it work? Is there some roster that people can sign up for where Benjamin can come and help them? Do you just appear with your suitcase and say, I'm here to build the church or I'm here to rescue the child? Or what, what, how does it work? How do we, <laughs> it's a what's very the bat signal? Thing. It's a very fluid thing. For me, it's, it's following what comes my way and listening to that and seeing what draws me most strongly. So for me, it's, it's a very fluid thing. But in practice, in fact, I do arrive with my suitcase and begin in that way. That is, that's how it looks in, uh, in the day-to-day. So this trip that I just had to the desert was with a young friend and it was a kind of fasting quest out there to make some decisions about his life as he moves out of, out of COVID and into the next chapter. He's spent a month in that contemplation, and this was an opportunity for him to think deeply and finalize and take new directions. But it always looks a little different because everyone's on a unique journey. I consider you a mentor, one of four very significant mentors in my life. Others, including Chip Conley, Dr. Elmer Griffin from Occidental College, Michael Allgood, the headmaster of my boarding school, How many people would you say confer upon you that title of mentor? Are there a lot of little Amons running around, pulling at your pant leg, asking for guidance? Well, I I generally prefer to think of the people in my life as friends, whatever their age may be. And so I suppose it would be on their end to decide if they would use that appellation or not. But I have had many beautiful ongoing relationships with younger people and some older people as well, where we have deep conversations about their life path and the challenges they're moving through. And uh, I take great joy in those conversations. And the way I look at it is more that I'm somehow an outpicturing of something within their psyche and their own, in their own intrapsychic journey that I'm a kind of archetypal appearance 
inside of their own conversation, really with themselves, with their higher self, with uh, their deeper self. And that this gives us an excuse or an opportunity just to be in that kind of depth of self-contemplation, which we seldom get in a world that pushes us um, towards doing and scrambling a lot. And so sometimes people have said to me, thank you for playing the part of my mentor or, or something like that, which is more how I think about it. More like for a time, I may take on that role in the inner world of a person and that gives me joy. I love that. <laughs> you, you are an archetypal energy in my life. You absolutely are. And I talk about you frequently. And, you know, Benjamin and his big white beard, who doesn't live anywhere and is always somewhere helping people. And you are somehow so extraordinarily available to me. You have gotten me through this difficult winter, really. And you know that because you talk to me all the time. And I was very frantic. And you kept grounding me and kept reflecting. And I would start a conversation with you, tearing my hair out. And by the end of it, it wasn't that I had some conferred peace, but rather I had a kind of empowered self-possession. As you know, we've recorded dozens of these conversations with the goop of the caterpillar is kind of the starting place. And there's some kind of bold certainty that I feel at the end of it. And it's interesting that you always frame that as a reflection that you are able to hold a reflection, and in my opinion, with such integrity and such depth that my natural machinations kind of like start to fall away and the truth that's been present all along begins to emerge in the presence of your watchful, loving awareness. And no matter how out of control I feel when we speak, I always end up coming home to myself. How do you do that? I mean, I do it, I guess. But how do we do it? How do we do it? And how could the listener provide it for a friend or search it out for themselves? Well, I think that observation that we do it, that it's a product of this interbeing that happens here is an important place to begin because it's something that happens naturally in the same way that when you plant a seed in the ground, a flower blooms in the spring. And it's the consequence of stepping together outside of Kronos, outside of linear time, and stepping together into Kairos, into deep time, which is to say, into presence, into that listening presence you were describing earlier. And in that listening presence, things reveal themselves naturally. They show their nature inside of that. Inside the rush of Kronos, in the mind's machine, that disappears. It becomes confused or covered over. It's only when the sunlight and the rainfall of Kairos land on whatever it is we're looking at that they can naturally reveal themselves. So we enter together into that. And sometimes it takes a little while. Sometimes you have to unburden yourself of things that have been moving for you, you know, things you're wrestling with or anxiety that's arisen or all of the mind ideas 
that the monkey mind generates and the narratives. But once those things are played out, then we can enter together into this place of deep time where we can naturally observe. You can watch it growing between us or arising and showing itself. What's inside of you? It's what Aristotle called entelechy, the way that the inward life of things is known. Or what uh, Gerard Manley Hopkins, the Victorian poet, called inscape, the indwelling nature of things that can be revealed, that can be allowed to show itself that essential nature. But that essential nature is not a product of the mind or of the ego or of its ideas or of its designs. It's more organic than that. I think it also relates to what we were talking about in the beginning about this lack of preference. I never feel that you have an agenda for me. Interestingly, it's even my own well-being. You behold me in such total sovereignty that if you could offer me a shortcut, you wouldn't want to because you wouldn't want to deny me the walk. You don't give me advice, really. You don't solve my problems. And you don't simply just love me because it's different than that. Because I know you love me. And, and frankly, I'm, I have an abundance of love in my life. And I give a lot of love to other people. But there's such a powerful non-doing in the way that you hold your reflection of me. And I admire it greatly. And I hope to someday or to increasingly be able to offer that to others. But I think it ties back into this thing of preference. Because when someone is hurting that I love, it turns on all these parts of me that want to take away the problem, that want to solve it, that want to create refuge. I just, I want things for them and for us. And I want reality to conform to something that would ameliorate their pain. But I don't feel like you want that for me. It's true. It's true from my own journey. I know that comfort and ease are no more beautiful or beneficial than hardship and difficulty and even pain, which lead us towards growth, which lead us towards self-excavation, which build our strength and our self-understanding. And these are gifts that arise in different ways than the gifts of, of pleasure or ease. So I wouldn't wish upon you only half of life. I wish upon you all of your inner life the pain and the pleasure and the growth and the celebration. So I want to talk a bit about the Yang container. And I kind of feel like you don't mind whether or not I am able to create one. You're just very interested in showing me how, what it is and how it works because you see me clearly enough to see perhaps the way that it isn't present in my life and therefore to help me understand that and then construct it. Is that an accurate way of describing why and how you have offered this particular modality to me? It is. It's, a, it's very accurate. You know, the way I see it, um, a balance there between your natural in-force and the beautiful 
creativity and flow inside of that is best complemented by the structures of yang, just the way a flowering vine is best complemented by a trellis, maybe a steel one that it can grow on, uh, that provides that structure to let it fully express itself, let its beauty be known. It's not that the vine isn't beautiful if it's growing on the ground, but it's in that balance with that structure it can spread more widely and uh, become even more generous. So what is a yang container? And why would a creative, flowing adventurer who lives life like a festival need a yang container to best give his or her gifts to this beautiful blue-green planet? Well, think of that being, that being which is a watery being, a flowing being, a being that is dynamic and in motion and uh, spontaneous and changeable. There's beauty in that as a basic nature, but there are also some ways in which that can naturally disperse itself, just like water poured out on the soil can soak in or disperse itself, kind of get a little unfocused. Whereas if you pour that fluid into a container, it contains the energy of it. It, it gives it a shape. It gives it something new, something complementary. In the same way that yang container, which has a, a stronger, more dense quality to it than the flowing quality of the yin, is a beautiful complement to it. They match each other in a way, and all of us, in some sense, are seeking this dynamic balance in our lives of yin and yang, whether that's with a partner or with our work in the world, or even in our own, within our own being, finding that balance. And finding that balance is something that's a part of a universal process as well. And the delights that come with your nature find their best balance uh, when there's some of that yang also on offer or as a container in that way. You've likened my yin to an overripe fruit that bears the risk of my gifts rotting and not being fully given. And not to say that some fruit has not been tasted for it certainly has. <laughs> but now at this point in my life that there's a need for the trellis that you described, there's a need for that structure so that that gift can be delivered. And I think that this is something that happens in the maturation process where there is a time for every purpose under heaven. There is a time to be in flow and adventure and travel and experiment. And there's also time to bring structure and come into service. And one of my favorite words, I love this word, is the word cloy. C-L-O-Y, which is, you know, a perfume that's too strong, a cake that's too rich. Anything that is so good that it becomes bad is something which cloys. And talking about life as a festival, life is celebration, life is open-heartedness, life is experiment, life is flow. This is all true, and it's 
part of what this podcast has been preaching. And yet, all of these features can cloy if they're not held in the right structure. And they can become a kind of garish, hedonic self-indulgence as well. And so it's interesting now in my life to look at having lived life like a festival and having spread this gospel. And many need it. You know, there are many who have a rigid yang that they need to break free from. But I think that part of a true life like a festival is saying yes to what really is and not hiding from it. Sometimes you got to break down camp. Sometimes you got to find your lost friend. Sometimes someone gets hurt and you have to bandage their foot. This is still part of the celebration and part of the festival. And so there comes a time in your life when you see yourself out of balance and you have to bring in the pieces that create equilibrium once again. And so I want to share that on the podcast because a lot of how I'm living now is cultivating this yang. And a lot of what I want to do moving forward after this 100th episode of this podcast is actually going to have a more yang construction to it. And that is thanks, of course, to you. Well, I'm glad to be a reflection of, of that in yourself as you self-discover because it's a, it's a beautiful thing to watch that happen in your life. And there's so much um, amplification that can come with that as you continue to complement and match the natural flow of creative energy in your life and the urge and energy in celebration with a purposeful direction, you know, with a, a structure that can contain that and with a sense of service that comes with that. It's a beautiful combination. What would you like to see on the Life is a Festival podcast? You know, I can say that we might ask, what is the next frontier for the festival? Might begin there. The festival that brings back into contemporary life a place for celebration, a place for the freedom of expression, a place for spontaneous connection and joy. These are all beautiful and important medicines in our time. But there's also a natural evolution or a natural frontier for that energy. And it has to do in a way with our discussion of the yin and the yang. Because as that continues to mature, that energy of creativity and celebration is infused with this yang energy of purposefulness and service. Of how do we take this celebration? How do we take this connection? How do we take this spontaneity and creativity? And how do we channel that into the world's great need? How do we channel that into mutual benefit? How do we combine those two things and bring that yin and that yang together into a beautiful dance where we don't forget to be spontaneous? We don't forget to connect. We don't forget self-care. We don't forget creativity but we match all of those things and weave them together with service and focus and specific contribution and ways that we can meet the challenges that rise up for all of us in the collective together in these times. And I feel that as you continue to do that work in your own being, 
in the alchemical laboratory of your own heart. That's something that can be a natural gift and offering inside of life as a festival, inside of all of its forms. And those that you invite and those that you converse with will be a part of that as well, will be a part of that greater evolution and that greater frontier. And that, I suppose, is what I see in my very small crystal ball. I like that very much. I, I think that life as a festival has always been for me modeling my own journey and sort of paradoxically, what I want to model moving forward is less focus on my own journey. <laughs> you know, like there's a time to go very deep in and work with all the mucky muck and to get really in there and find the trauma and crack it open and feel it. There's a time to feel it and heal it. But there's also a time to snap out of the self-indulgent looping. There's also a time to secure others' oxygen masks because your oxygen mask actually is reasonably secure. Jamie Wheel talks about this kind of 80-20 thing where 20% of the work yields 80% of the results. And particularly applying that to healing and personal growth. We excavate ourselves with psychedelics and with different therapeutic modalities. And certainly I have on this show and I've showcased many people who do that. But at a certain point, there's diminishing returns on that effort. And that effort can actually draw in lots of resources, particularly when we're going to retreats in faraway places. And when it's actually really a, a kind of a hedonistic, self-gratifying journey that loses the point of where you started, which is I want to be whole or as whole as I may be so that I can experience this life in wholeness so that I can be part of the wholeness that is life. But when we're so busy tinkering with our own sense of incompletion, we can stand further and further away from our fellow man, from others who need the help perhaps much more than we do at this point. And that's something that I'd like to focus more deeply on moving forward with this podcast and with the other work in my life. And I think it's so important for us to remember that our wholeness is not apart from, it's not a project that can be accomplished in isolation. It can be begun there and important parts of it can be accomplished there. But it's a much larger thing because our wholeness is a product of interbeing. It's a much larger thing. It, in, it involves engaging the world beyond ourselves. That's where our wholeness really comes into its expression, into its fullness. And so we may have to do some repairs on the house. We may have to attend to a thing or two. That's important. But if we get caught up in home improvement and changing that picture's a little off and I have to adjust it a little bit and let me go up in the attic and check if the insulation's poking out here or there, we lose that opportunity for a much greater service. We limit the scale and scope of our work and of our extended selfhood, which when we actually begin to connect with others and be in service and bring those projects forth, those things are all part of our enholing in a very beautiful way. And we can't really be our full selves, 
live into our true potentials without that. What do you feel are the specific projects that we, within community, within connection with each other, should be devoting our attention to now, in this moment, in the 21st year of the 21st century? What wheels should we all be putting our shoulder to? Or what wheels, rather? Well, I feel that we need to work together in a community-based way on the great projects of redesigning human systems on all kinds of levels. Our current designs have come to the end of their utility for us, and we require new systems in all kinds of areas. There's a great opportunity for creative work to take place. Incredibly exciting opportunity for these redesigns. And as we move through that, each of us will find our own way through that, which is a very particular thing for an individual or group, whether that's regenerative agriculture or working on energy or redesigning social media systems and ways that can be mutually beneficial in an authentic way. There just is a great deal to be done, and all of us are going to have to meet it, I think, in our own ways. Well, and I think that with this podcast, one of the things that I've endeavored to do and will continue to endeavor to do is how do we make sure that all of this process is imbued with joy? Because on one hand, you have the excess of the party and the waste and the inequality that creates the structures that allows some to just gallivant and others not to. On one hand, there's that. But on the other hand, you have the kind of bitter, sour, dried up activist energy of the, the raging against the problems and the injustice with no joy and no hope and no dancing and a flame of rage or indignation rather than a bonfire of heart aliveness. There's a middle place where the celebration leads the heart forward into service. And therefore it's sustainable emotionally and I think even physically and is more inviting to bring others along for the ride. There's something, there's something in that apex. Absolutely. I think that connects with the notion of the overripe yin and the embittered or dried out yang. You know, they want to meet in a way where the yin is bringing that moisture and that liveness into the yang. And the yang is bringing that structure and that purpose to the yin. They need each other in that way. And when they exist without each other, each of them goes into their own excess and that's why I feel that the important prospect of bringing celebration and spontaneity and self-expression needs to be matched with that sense of, of purpose and focus and sharpening and clarity and exhilaration that comes with those things. Damn, Benjamin, you brought it back. You brought it right back. Or did you? 
Uh, or did we? Ha ha. Uh. <laughs> um, so I feel like we've moved very quickly to a place of clarity here in terms of what's next for the show, what's next for me, what's, what's next for us. It feels very clear. I guess my question would be in this moment for the listener, what are some tangible techniques that we can bring into actually altering our lives? Because the revelation doesn't necessarily bring the change. It's the practice. It's the consistent engagement. It's the integration of the peak experience, not simply beholding the mountaintop. So based on your life of shedding your own preferences to step fully into the joyful service of others, which you really do hold that. You hold a joyful service. You're always smiling when you're telling me you're helping someone. Do you have some tangible, accessible techniques to help us orient ourselves more towards that way of being in the world? Things that have helped you get to where you are? One of the things that does work very well for me is to turn my gaze outward and to focus on how I might be of service, to focus on what's happening out there. For me, that naturally brings forth the flow in my being. When I get too far into some form of self-construction, whether that's glorifying or criticizing, whatever it may be, there's a staleness or a claustrophobia that comes with that. There's only so many rounds I can do pacing through my own house, which I know so well, so very well after having lived in it for so many years. So for me, going out figuratively on the street to see what's happening and how I might be of service is a very important practice. It's a practice that's as important to me as any kind of inner practice that I do. So I would definitely recommend that process for anyone. And, and really in a time when the self has become such a, such a, a point of consternation and development, you know, as we make our images on social media and brand ourselves and do all the many other things we do, it can be quite challenging to look beyond the confine of the billboards we've put up in service of the self and to reach beyond that. I think it's one of our challenges collectively in this time to do that, to, to push through and to get over those things and to reach out beyond because there really is, in my opinion, a greater sense of wholeness and life energy that emerges from that encounter with the other. I thought you were going to give me something really easy. Like you just need to meditate for five minutes every day. That's all you need to do. It feels like getting out of oneself, getting out of the preoccupation with self to discontinue pacing within one's own house is both extraordinarily obvious and also extraordinarily difficult in the way our modern world is constructed. It is easier said than done, I think. And uh, especially in a time when there is so much focus on the construction of the self. So it's an interesting project to 
take down the fences in your yard, to take them down so you can see your neighbors, so you can engage them, whether that's literally or figuratively. But really, that now is, it really is a project. It really takes some effort and some focus and some, some direction to do that and to push through the desire to kind of involute. Well, and I think here's where we have the value of a Yang container. So I know that if I serve, I will be served. I know that if I engage with others, I will feel connection. I know what Eckhart Tolle says, that what you believe the world is withholding from you, you are withholding from the world. I know all of these things are true. And yet I have to continue to wake up from the sleepiness of my own myopic consternation. Now, I got this podcast and I have to produce something that means something and that helps someone. And there are people who've been listening for a while who care about this. It's part of their day. I have a responsibility to that. I've created, by creating this show, a responsibility to that. And what comes along with that is the perpetuation of this creative venture And the podcast itself is this container. It's made me a better listener. It's made me a better conversationalist. When I'm in a social situation and I'm having a one-on-one conversation with someone and they start to speak about their life and their journeys and their tragedies, suddenly my mind will start wanting to know the questions that will deepen the intimacy of our conversation. It just naturally starts doing that because of the training of doing this show. So in a sense, Life as a Festival has been a Yang container for my ability to provide to others something that you provide to me, which is this reflection that allows a developing and unfurling of self in witnessed by the other. And as I move past this 100th episode, I can see that the Yang construction of this podcast has been a certain thing. It's been held loosely in some ways. I've explored some different formats. I've explored some live things, Clubhouse. I've, you know, How might I construct the container of this podcast to do an even better job of the thing that it's most importantly doing, which is essentially revealing the intimate thoughts, stories, and lived experience of someone who lives their life with the open-hearted yes of a festival. How might I fine tune the technology that is this this sweet little podcast that I've made into a better container that makes me better at doing that? And then of course feeds into all the other places in my life where I would do better to be a bit more like Benjamin. A little bit less preferences, a little bit more helpful, a little bit more available. I think you make a wonderful amen. And, <laughs> and I think uh, as that wonderful amen, you're in the perfect place in your own unfolding, your own blossoming. And, and you may move towards certain qualities that enhance that even further. But it's been uh, a great pleasure for me to see that unfurling in the years that I've known you and in the years that you've been offering this podcast for and I do think that there's an evolution taking place. You know, as you mentioned, beyond this hundredth episode, you'll be taking some new directions. And I do feel that bringing some more yang into the yin focus 
of the show that also puts a premium on purposefulness or puts a premium on the notion of what each of our services or how we self-discover in that. Not only what we excavate in this chamber of our own heart, but how that is brought forth by the world around us and how it continues to develop in that Polaroid of our being. These are things that I think will, will come naturally. And I believe that they'll come naturally with your own personal journey. I believe that there will be an interreflection between that progress within your own being and how the show plays out and the directions it takes and the people that are drawn to it. Well, and, you know, I'd like this podcast to offer these ideas and indeed these cultures and these cultural pioneers and leaders to an audience that might never have gone to or ever want to even go to the playa or, you know, a little festival on some far-flung corner of the earth. Someone who could benefit greatly from these technologies that we've developed in congregation and these lessons, but don't need the whole fireworks and the, the whole performance of it. Just want to listen to someone's story. And so I really want to focus on people's stories and on people that you might not expect to be on this show new people, people from different backgrounds, not someone necessarily who's ever been to a festival or someone who's part of a cultural tradition of festivals, but who is someone who lives their life with an open-hearted joy that is worth admiring and learning from and devoting oneself to an hour of listening to. So now we're just getting into like chatting about the show and chatting about strategy and it's a little bit of like an snapshot into how you and I talk a lot. <laughs> um, but it's fun. Yeah. What, what better place to, to talk about the evolution of the show than on the show? If there were ever an episode that deserves its meta qualities, it is a hundredth episode. That is, that's a lot of podcasts. I love them all. And I'm grateful to all of the guests that have come through these doors, such as they are. These virtual doors, increasingly virtual doors. <sighs> well, somehow you managed to do more listening than speaking on this podcast, Benjamin. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a habit of mine, I'll confess. I think there was a point in my life when I became less interested in myself and more interested in the world. And I, I found that the world was far more interesting, really, than my own notions of myself. And that was a joyful discovery for me. When did that happen? I think that happened, it was in my 30s, probably my late 30s, when I really began to truly discover that and to become more interested in taking down the fences than in constructing and continuing to add additions onto my house or put another story on. I became more interested in what would happen if I took down the walls and went out and just met the world directly. But that's a long process too. Sometimes it's a, it's a project as big as building a house to take one down. Yeah, and, and you might think that you just need to take a shit ton of acid, but, <laughs> but it, it turns out that's the equivalent of a tornado coming through, leveling everything, and you might not be satisfied with the results. I feel like our first part of our lives, we're building an ego. And then the second part of our lives, we're taking it apart. 
But I love what you said about becoming more interested in the world than yourself. And that's really the gift that this podcast has given to me. Incomplete, but ongoing, is the idea that people are so very fascinating and people's journeys are so rich and so worthy of listening to. And it's an honor to hold them and listen and be present and share in that intimate confessional vulnerability. And I think in that space, there's something really beautiful that emerges, you know, as you continue to do that with your guests and hold that space of transparency and authenticity and deep listening, what comes through and what comes out of that is a, is a wonderful and rich gift. Mm. Well, Benjamin, we're going to have to keep on our working on the deep listening stuff together. And I'll be continuing, as I always do, to message you frantically when things are not at their best and say, do you have some time for me? <laughs> and I will. It's such a deep pleasure for me in my life to, to serve in that way and uh, gives me great joy to be a part of that blossoming that happens inside that interbeing. Well, I am so grateful and you have taught me so much about being present for another person and enriched my life in so many ways. And you are such a huge part of this show. So it's such a joy for my listeners to finally get to meet you. You are a magical being and your house is far bigger than the construction of a self mm. because you sleep in the desert and you sleep on the beach and you travel around the world helping people. And that is a life that we all should aspire to live. Well, it works very well for me because I always feel at home here. Well, Benjamin, thanks for coming on the Life yeah, is a Festival it's been a great podcast. To, to be here and to be with all of your extended family in this process today. And I have one small request, one proviso for this conversation, if you choose to use it, to just bill me as Benjamin, because that's all I am. No public figure and maybe not even a figure at all. Or maybe a figment. <laughs> ah, so like a, kind of like a Madonna thing where you just get one name. You're, you, I only refer to you as, as Benjamin. You're in my phone as Obi-Wan Kenobi, though. You can use that, too, but I think uh, Lucasfilm might have something to say about it. I will bill you as Benjamin. You are my Benjamin, although you do not belong to me. You are many people's Benjamins. An archetypal figure within the inner intrapsychic realm. <laughs> you are indeed such a pleasure to have you on the show and so, so grateful for your friendship and your support and your tutelage and your love and your care. And very happy to see you doing well. I feel good about where you're landing right now and everything that's moving down there. Thank you. I feel really good. I don't reach out to you as much when I'm doing well. I reach out to you more when my anxiety has reached a fever pitch. Um, it always makes but... me happy when I don't hear from you for a while. Not that I don't love connecting with you because I do, but I always know that things are, are moving in you and you're deeply engaged. And I love that. Yeah. You get like the, do you have time when I'm a mess? And then you get like a voice message. It's like, Hey, I'm like in this place and I like met this person and like, things are going really well. I hope you're good. Bye. <laughs> exactly. Well, a thousand thank yous. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm excited to share this. Please message me a photograph of yourself. Okay. You may not want to, but it's the rules. Okay. So headshot, and then we'll and I'll put this out next week as my 100th episode. Beautiful. Well, I'll look forward to our next conversation. Until then, be well. Take care, my friend. Thank you for joining us for Life is a Festival. If you like the show, you can support it by sharing it with your friends, following it on Spotify, or reviewing it on iTunes. If you'd like to get more involved, you can join our Facebook group, Life is a Festival, where we talk about the show and you can suggest new guests. If you really liked the show and maybe want a little bit more, visit my digital tip jar at patreon slash lifeisafestival.com. Whatever you do, I hope today's podcast helped you make your life just a little bit more like a festival. And I'll see you on the dance floor.